Well, good morning. I am here, but we had a lab this morning and it was balloons, balloon rockets, right? So they were shooting them across the classroom, bit chaotic. So looking forward to the calm. Um, but have any of you ever taught children, particularly like elementary school, preschool, but for, for Sunday school or anything? Like one of my favorite ways to read a story to, to younger children is to have them listen for certain words or phrases and then say or do something when they hear it. So like um, the old standby for Girl Scouts was the grand old Duke of York. He had 10,000 men. He marched them up and you had to stand up to the top of the hill and he marched them down and you had to sit back down again. And when you're up, you're up. And when you're down, you're down. And when you're only halfway up, you're neither up or down, right? That was, that was the old standby for Girl Scouts. Um, but sometimes it was this, it's as simple as just when they hear the word God, they point up. Or sign language for yes. Or for Jesus, right? Something just to get them engaged in hearing the story. Um, it, it's, it's like actions for a song, but it brings attention to something to keep the kids active and engaged in, in just listening to the reading. Now you're like, well, why did she say that? What's she going to make us do? <laughs> you're right. But um, the fun fact and useless piece of information, except for what we're going to do this morning, that at the Feast of Purim, the, and we'll get to what that feast is later, the book of Esther is read in its entire, entirety in the synagogue as a way of celebrating and remembering. It's part of that celebration. But what's interesting is that every time the name Haman is read, the people listening will stomp their feet and, and they will say, may his name be blotted out. Now, I'm not going to have you do that every time for the rest of the year when we read. But... But I do want us to do that for this first chapter. And we're not going to do the shouting, just the stomping of feet is fine. Um, as we read this first passage, because I want you to experience this the way that the Jewish people experience reading the book of Esther. And so this is one of those ways that we can do that. So somebody has Esther 3 verses 1 through 6. Thank you. 
Okay. So now we have, our, our story has taken this threatening turn. We now have a villain. That's, you know, when, when the movies get really good, it's when the bad guy shows up and you're just like, yeah, get him, get him, right? So who is Haman? What do we know about him from these verses? Agagite. Agagite. It's a fun word to say, at least. And they hated the Jews. And they hated the Jews. We're going to talk about them in just a minute. What else? A noble and what? Uh, he was promoted above all the officials. And people had to bow down to him. They, and they, saw him. they had to, to, to bow down to honor him, uh, at least in action, right? What else do we learn about him in, in his response to Mordecai not bowing? He went into a fury. He had a bit of a temper, didn't he? he and he was, he, he didn't want to just bot, hurt um, Mordecai. He wanted to, to kill all of Mordecai's people. He, he, he was vengeful, right? Those are some of those things we see about him. So it, it tells us that um, Haman was an Agagite. Um, Presumably, that would mean he was a descendant of King Agag. King Agag was an enemy of God's people. He was the ruler over the Amalekites. So I gave out some verses to, um, for us to sort of get an idea about those, those people. So 1 Samuel 15, 8 through 9 and 33. So the Amalekites were big time enemy of the Jews. And God actually commanded King Saul and his armies to completely wipe them out, to not leave any behind. So who was supposed to kill King Agag? Yeah, Saul was supposed to kill him, or at least make sure that he was killed, right? And who ended up being the one to kill Agag? Samuel. Samuel's not a soldier, he's a priest, right? <laughs> but here he's, he's doing what the Lord declared needed to be done. And then we see in 1 Chronicles 4, verses 42 and 43, what happens with the um, Amalekites.
So according to 1 Chronicles 4, all of the Amalekites were killed. And so presumably that would mean all of the Agagites. Um, and so it's, it's hard to know exactly what, uh, what that term that Haman was, was an Agagite, what it specifically means, because the Bible tells us they were all completely wiped out, all that remained. Um, but it's possible that they just used that term to mean an enemy of the Jews by birth. And if we, part of why I had you stomping your feet at the name Haman is to think about it as you think about the Jews reading this. If the Jews were reading this, they would, they would hear the term Agagite and they would automatically know that this was an enemy. Before they even knew what he wanted to do, they knew that he was an enemy from the first time he's introduced because they knew that Agagite was an enemy. And then, then we see that he is promoted and the king commands for him to be honored. And so why was Haman honored by the command of the king? Why did the king command for him to be honored? It doesn't say. We have no idea. That's exactly right. It was normal to bow to the king, but it was more rare for others. Um, people of the ancient Near East were accustomed to giving public displays of homage, and the, but the king had to issue a special edict concerning Haman, or the people wouldn't have bowed down to him. And one thing we do need to remember is, is that the Jews did not violate the second commandment, which we're going to look at in a minute, when they bowed down before people in authority any more than Christians do today when they show respect to leaders. Because that phrase where it says in the ESV, it says pay, pay homage, that is, is used, it, it's, an, it's an phrase that's used for... Um, meaning to bow down or to, and to honor, but it can refer to worship of God, but more commonly it refers to just honoring royalty and, and leadership, showing respect and things like that. So the king, um, the king, we have to remember Ahasuerus is the one that made this command Ahasuerus would not have, I mean, think about what we know about Ahasuerus. We've been talking about him for a couple of months now. He would not have made a command for people to treat Haman as God. Because if they treated Haman as God, that put him above the king. And so we, we have to keep that in mind as we're, as we're reading through this. That it, um, th th what that term honor and, and bowing down truly means. Um, it's a little more than that. Potentially, based on the, I mean, we don't see exactly what the king commanded, but it would have been more than just a bow of the head type of thing. It, it would have been a physical, like, 
lowering of yourself. Um, yeah. But we see that Mordecai does not bow down. Why didn't he bow? He was a Jew. He was a Jew. So that's one option, that it's you shall have no other gods before me, because that's what the, the second commandment of the Ten Commandments says. So that's a possibility. Well, based on what you're saying, it's not so much about worship. It's you're my enemy, and I'm not going to pay you any respect. Right. It could just be you're my enemy. You don't, you don't deserve my respect. Yeah. And it could just be that Mordecai is just super arrogant and isn't going to bow down to anybody. I don't think so. Yeah, I was going to say, but that's not, and we don't know. That's the, that's the question. But from what we know of Mordecai, we know there had to be some specific reason that it wasn't just, it wasn't just arrogance because he's not an arrogant man, right? We have, this goes against what we know of Mordecai, who was, who was humble in, in his approach to everything. And maybe it is that he is holding the no other God's commandment and taking that to heart. For the record, he's not practicing anything else Jewish. Um, and so would he really? We don't know. Right, we're, and we're told specifically Haman the Agagite, and so we automatically know, because if we're thinking Jewish mindset here, right, that's, that was the goal for this morning, we already know enemy, and so that it really does lead us to think that it was just, I can't bow down to this enemy of my people, that I can never, I can never do that. Um, but we don't know for sure. We know he would have had political or religious reasons for not not bowing down, um, but I'm going with the assumption that it was it was mostly going to be the reason would be the hatred of the Agagite situation because we're told that so clearly, um, and we have to we have to remember when I started us out in our introduction we talked about. There are things we are not going to know, and there are things that we are told, and both are just as important. And so, but God is as purposeful in what he doesn't reveal in his word as in what he does. And he doesn't tell us exactly why Mordecai refused to bow. But how did Haman find out that Mordecai did not bow down? The servants told him. Haman didn't see it. It wasn't, it wasn't an obvious thing, right? He, he didn't draw attention to himself with it. He didn't try to recruit other people. It could be that if he saw Haman coming, he just sort of pushed himself to the background. Um, it could have been he just avoided it. Uh, it the point is, it wasn't so drastic. He wasn't loud and boisterous about it. He never just put his hands on his hips and said, I refuse. 
Never did. So we need to take notice of this behavior. Because standing up for ourselves and for our beliefs does not mean that we have to make a spectacle. We can quietly protest and still be honoring God. We do not have to be visible and in the forefront. And we need to honor God, but Mordecai, just like Daniel, didn't go out in front of everyone and disobey the king. They did it quietly, yet still made their point. Uh, Landon Dowden, the Christ-centered expository commentary, says, God used both Haman's desire to be honored and Mordecai's refusal to honor to advance his purpose. But this leads us to some thoughts that should challenge us. Because first, what do we do when people do not honor us as we feel we ought to be honored? We need to make sure that we are not honor hounds, that we're not searching it out, that we're not trying to, to have people make commands that they need to bow down to us. How'd you like it if I walked in the door and you had to stop what you were doing and just bow down immediately, right? It, And so we need to ask ourselves some questions, and I am not sorry if I step on your toes. We need to ask ourselves, am I in any way guilty of seeking my honor over God's? We need to ask, am I seeking my honor to the detriment of those around me? And we need to say, we need to ask ourselves, am I more offended when my honor is called into question than when God's is. But there are times that we should be honored. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. We've all heard that. We've all probably thrown that in our children's faces at one time or another, right? So what about when our children should be honoring us as parents, but they are being disrespectful and disobedient? When we actually deserve honor but are not receiving it, and then we demand it, it will probably not increase the desire in the hearts of our children to honor us. We cannot expect the law or our command to do what only grace can accomplish. King Ahasuerus made a law to honor Haman, but it did nothing to create a desire in Mordecai to obey it. Our confidence, this is Landon Dowden, our confidence cannot be in the law informing them, but in God's grace transforming them. And so here we've looked at Haman command, or de demanding this honor, but the other side of this honor coin, coin here exists as well. Are we being like Mordecai and withholding honor where it's due? There are a number of times throughout the Bible that we are told to show honor. And so I have a bunch of them, and we're going to read the verse, and then you're going to tell me who it is like, I'm going to ask the question, who are we supposed to be honoring? So Romans 12, 10. 
So who are we supposed to honor? Each other, one another. Philippians 2, 29 through 30. So that's referring to Epaphroditus specifically. Epaphroditus was, was uh, Paul's helper. And so, but who in general would that be talking about that we should honor? The workers, the people who are doing God's work. And then 1 Timothy 5.17. And so who, are we should, who should we be honoring? Pastors and elders, right? Those spiritual leaders. First uh, Peter 3, 7. Can I add? Uh-huh. That also included two of Elizabeth's. You know, one of his pastors and elders, and then women were included, but in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and New Testament. So yep. these were leaders who had older Yes, the, the point was just spiritual leaders. We'll just. <laughs> because I don't want you to bow down to me when I walk in the door. those things that um, that you you know it's the treat people how you would want to be treated it really boils down to some of that yeah we we want to have we want to have unity and and it's Seeking to honor somebody is you hear somebody talking about them, you stop it. Seeking to honor somebody is you not complaining about, man, I really hated that new song we sang on Sunday. Because <laughs> there is a lot of prayer and effort that goes into picking a new song. Um, it, it, so it's, it, it, yeah, the, it's not that you have to do something above and beyond or do it's it's being respectful it is it is being um being understanding saying thank you yeah it's things like it it i mean pastor appreciation month is great but if we reserve it only for october we're we're missing out on opportunities um, and it's, 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 it's not about the gifts. I mean, the cards in the mail mean just as much to Ray as anything. The, just the thank you for what you do. I see it. I, I recognize it. You know, that's just as important to these men. So 
and yes, I said men because I was referring to Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> um, in First First Peter three seven, what does that one say? Now that one's specifically speaking to the husbands about the wives, but it, it goes the other way as well for us. It's honoring our husbands, but I love the way it said in an understanding way. You know, we need to we need to look at our husbands and honor them by thinking that they we we have to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And then first Peter 217 so who does it say and how who who should we honor everyone and then specifically it said what was the last one the emperor our rulers right and then and then how did it say it gave two things in between those Love the brotherhood and fear God. So it's show love and fear God. That's how, we, that's how we show honor. And so we may not know Mordecai's motives, but we should be constantly checking our own. And so we have to be constantly asking ourselves, am I withholding honor from anyone to whom it is due? And if we are, is it out of convenience or out of conviction? Is it our preference or is it the Lord's precepts? Why are we withholding honor? That's more important for us than the actual act of doing it. Should he have shown respect anyway and bowed to Haman because that was the rule that the king put forth? That was what our ruler said. Or would he have sinned being a Jew and have done that? Well, and that goes back to the, to the actual command from the king. And we don't know exactly what that command was. And so it is possible that the command of the king was, you are to worship him, not just honor him. You're not just bowing down for respect, you're bowing down for worship. And so if that was the case, then yes, he would have been sinning had he done that. Um, but if it was just the way that most times in that time, that most instances in that time frame it was just a bow down out of respect not a bow down out of worship yeah it could have easily been 
Mordecai's justification, the I don't like Haman the Agagite, and so I'm not going to bow down because there are no, I, I should put no other gods bef before God. Like, we do that sometimes. We tweak things just enough to make them work in our favor, right, to, to justify ourselves. Um, yeah. But back to our story, back to, to our passage here. What was the express reason? What was the reason given why the officials told Haman about Mordecai, or the servants, sorry, told Haman about Mordecai? Yeah, they, they just wanted to, to see what would happen. But right, they were instigating something because they knew something was going to happen. They wanted, they wanted to see the fight. And, and they probably knew because, because Mordecai said that he was a Jew they probably knew that Haman disliked the Jews anyway. They, they probably, that was probably not a secret. And so they knew that something was going to happen. Um, Mordecai's controversy with Haman was not a personal quarrel with a proud and difficult man. It was Mordecai's declaration that he was on God's side in the national struggle between the Jews and the Amalekites. This again was the way that I was assuming what was going on. Because civil authority is ordained by God, it is a serious thing for Christians to disobey the law. And if we are going to do it, we must know the difference between personal pre prejudices and biblical convi convictions. And by confessing that he was a Jew, Mordecai was asking for trouble for both himself and the other Jews in the empire. He knew what might happen. And so what was Haman's response to Mordecai? Very upset. It's, it, yeah, it was fury and rage. Um, I am going to admit, I got pulled over one time for driving angry, right? Have you ever done that? You drive angry and so you're speeding and you don't realize it because you're just, right? So I, I did get off with a warning, so I was not going that fast, but um, the, when you are that angry, that it, because it used the word, uh, the Hebrew word hama for anger. It's a very strong term. It's an inner emotional heat which rises and is fanned out. And this word is used six times in the book of Esther. Two times for Haman and four times for Ahasuerus. That anger would have, that level of, of anger, that level of fury and rage would not have have had Haman thinking clearly 
he was not thinking reasonably in any way, shape, or form. He could have just reported Mordecai's crime to the king, and the king would have imprisoned Mordecai or perhaps had him executed, but that would not have satisfied Haman's lust for revenge. And so it introduces the principal plot of the book, the attempt to destroy the Jewish people. Hatred and bitterness were at the root of Haman's quest for power, and for him, power rested in the destruction of the Jews. Yes. I, I don't I don't remember the Hebrew like word, but I um, I remember looking and it was it was more the just the hatred was so deep. So he wasn't necessarily scared to take more to Right. And just like the Jews would have been would have been raised knowing that the Amalekites or Agagites were enemies, that they were to be hated, that they were a people that God wanted blotted out. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a trigger. So we know Haman's goal. And so then we need to look at how he intends to make it happen. So Esther 3, 7 through 15.
So when, when does this take place? Back in verse 7. The first month of the twelfth year of King Ahasuerosh. So the twelfth year is, means that Esther has been queen for five years at this point. And so then they cast the pure, pure, I can never say it correctly. But it's a Babylonian word. It's a dice-shaped clay cube that's inscribed with prayers for good luck rather than dots. And these stones were placed in a jar or in the, in the fold of a garment, and they were shaken until one fell out. And that indicated the divine answer to the question that was being posed. So there, it's kind of a similar idea to using dice. Um, my dad... When we were growing up, we would, play, we would play games, and he never once let us win. We had to earn it no matter what. Um, so he took his dice rolling very seriously. And if he wanted to land on boardwalk, he would be blowing on those dice, and he would shake them high up over his head, and then he'd shake them down low and behind his back, and then he'd throw them on the table, right? He... <laughs> He, he knew that that did absolutely nothing to help his dice roll, but he was putting on a show because if he got the right number that he wanted so that he could land where he wanted, it was, it, the show went on. We'll just, <laughs> you know. But Haman, it wasn't just for show. He was doing this. He was relying on these dice. Um, and, and, it, um, he, he used these, it was kind of like the casting of lots, uh, and he used this to find the lucky day for the destruction of the Jews. And it was believed that the first month of the year was the time to cast those, those lots, to, to, to roll those pure for the rest of the year, so that you could find what the lucky days were for the year. Um, and this was done before Haman approached the king. And so, but this was normal, a normal practice for, the, for that 
for the Yes, it was not. It it was not um, in in their minds. It was not God ordained. They were they were trying to relate to the the spiritual world to do that. It was astrology and magic and, um, and pagan practices that they uh, they would use this to decide whether or not to go into battle. Right, that this was the type of thing that they did this for. And so he cast the pure in the first month and when's the date that was chosen? It's there in uh, So he did it on the 13th day of the first month and what was the day that was chosen for the annihilation of the Jews? The 13th day of the 12th month. It's a long time between January and December. And so, and so the, the question is, was this an answer from God or from those pagan spirits? Right. And so Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so while you're... Um, while we're looking at the way this all worked, if you go to page 48 in your handouts, you've got that Hebrew calendar thing. And I told you we'd be coming back to that at some point. Nisan is the first month. What happens on the 14th day of the first month? Passover. What does Passover celebrate? Yeah, the, it's the deliverance of the Jews from Egypt when they were, they put the, it, it's the celebration, the feast in celebration of, of remembrance for when they put the blood over the door so that they protected their firstborn. So it's, it's a celebration of deliverance. But here, because it talks about um, uh, the, the city that the city of Susa was thrown into confusion, they're being told the day before they're celebrating their deliverance that they are going to be destroyed. So again, put yourself in that mindset of the Jewish people, right? That's what's going on. That's what's going through their heads right now. They're hearing this and then they hear, but we have 11 months of waiting. Yes. So here in the verse program, it says the first month they start casting lots, and it says they cast them until the twelfth month, and then it goes on to say, so is it a year later that they actually put the edict? So they're rolling the rolling the dice, and they're looking for the certain marking that indicates yes, and so they would roll them for the first month, and if it came up as they're, so they're rolling for each month. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I had that written down somewhere to make that clear, but I skipped it apparently. So they had, the Jews are, are thinking about their annihilation at the same time that they're thinking about their deliverance. 
and they're thinking about the 11 months of waiting that they have. And so I want to challenge you, since we don't meet next week due to Thanksgiving, I want to challenge you to read Psalm 105 and 106. And I want you to look at those as, as psalms for, for you when you're waiting. They're psalms of, of God's faithfulness. Because by considering God's faithfulness, we can fuel our own. Uh, Landon Dowden says, Even in our times of waiting, we can be empowered to trust the Lord, not by considering our previous faithfulness, but by recalling His. He is always working in our waiting, even if it is not always evident. And so that's your cliffhanger until January when we jump back into Esther.